Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. And I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books Network. Why do we need a savior? Why can't Jesus just be a really good teacher? Um, and just another kind of like a, a Buddha or Rabbi Moses. Um, is that we we cannot really get out of the this kind of world of sin and exile from God's presence uh, on our own. We can't just put ourselves back into relationship to God. We can't just look upon even Jesus as a great model of how I want to live my life so that I can be a better better man, a better father, a better husband. Um, but that all those efforts end up falling short and actually maybe mm-hmm. um, drawing us further from really being brought back in union with God. And so God had to send yeah. his son. God had to become man so that man could become God, as, as Athanasius, St. Athanasius said. As we start the second year of Almost Good Catholics, I asked my old friend David Basil, the theology teacher and our very first guest last year, to come back and explain the mystery of our redemption in the sacrifice of Christ crucified. What is more central to our Christian faith? And yet, at least for me, what is more difficult to understand? So this will be the first new episode of 2023. Woohoo! Season 2. Shifting from Christmas back to ordinary time and celebrating 40,000 total downloads worldwide of the program so far. And so at the very end, I'll play a couple of Christmas carols in their entirety from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster Band to share the joy of Christ coming into the world and into our hearts, which is also the topic of this episode. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics. I'm your host, Chris Adinius, and I get to ask interesting people who have thought about the big questions to share their conclusions, to explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. I hope this format, in relationship and dialogue, in back and forth, may help us approach the truth and have a really good time doing it. Should you want to take the conversation a step further, please email me at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. Today, my guest for the third time is Mr. David Basil. 
He is theology chair at Archbishop Rummel High School in Metairie, Louisiana. He also has a master's of theology from the Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology, part of the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, California. So this is David's third appearance on the show, and uh, I am so delighted to talk with you again. Happy New Year, David. Happy New Year. Yeah, it's a, it's a great joy to be back and speaking with you in person. This is, well, at least virtually. Um, yeah. This is a great delight. Yeah. Um, so, right. And I, uh, the show has, has had a, a lot has happened. We moved it from my old, um, my old website, which was working great to, uh, something much bigger called new books network. And so they've just published all the episodes one after another, and we've had so many way more downloads. So it's, it's been very nice to have, uh, so many listeners find us, which meant that we went for the last month, it's just been going all the old episodes from last year. So this is going to be the first episode um, yeah. published from 2023. Uh, so it's nice. It's symmetrical that uh, you are the guest again. I, I think I'll call this season two, <laughs> episode 39. Um, so welcome again. Uh, do you have do you have a joke? Sure. Uh, given that the topic today was going to be salvation, and I spent a lot of time, um, and I have been spending a lot of time thinking about sacrifice, I um thought of this one uh so you know how relationships go and you know how uh in order to make a a, a good relationship between spouses um sometimes um things don't always work out and um there's arguments there's fights so my wife said the other day that in order to make our relationship work we would each need to, need to make sacrifices <laughs> Uh, which I took to heart, um, but she seems less impressed and happy about me leaving a lot of dead goats all around the kitchen. <laughs> As actually, that sounds delicious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lamb's that's back a, on the menu. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, we should we should that's what we should start with is um, sacrifice. Why there's sacrifice? Where that comes from? Because my you know why. I don't know if you heard um, the conversation I had long ago with another theologian from the same Dominican school where you went. And I had told him this little parable that my dad had told me when I was little. And I don't know where he read it. And I asked him about it much later. And he did not even remember telling me the story. But it was somewhere, sometime he had read this story about a tyrannical ruler who had, you know, some... Um, reclusive some uh, hidden away himalayan kingdom and along came some american mountaineers who you know misbehaved and camped in the wrong places and left litter and broke all kinds of rules and so the king arrested them and said you know in my in my kingdom the penalty for your misbehaviors for your many sins is death however because i am a merciful king i will kill my own son instead and let you go and, and let you go free Right, which is an absurd parable, yes. uh, but it, but it illustrates the the like what what why why would God say bring His only begotten Son into the world just to kill Him, just to let us off the hook for things we had done to Him, when He could you know is He not God? Can He not with a wave of a wave of a hand pardon all? How, what are the mechanics of of redemption and salvation and um yeah of redemption and sacrifice? How, where does this come from? How does it work? Yeah, so your parable um, exemplifies to me something that I think I, I can't accept uh, in a certain extent. It's not this vision of a punitive 
um, God, uh, one that is wrathful and demands, uh, in a sense of justice, the um, death and punishment of all those who have wronged him and offended him, who have sinned against him. Um, that that doesn't really. I mean, uh, he is he is our father, right? So he's the prototype mm -hmm. of um, fatherhood. He is the the archetype of fatherhood, which I want to embody in all ways. And I just imagine in terms of my own children, like, all right, uh, they have, they've done something wrong. I come home and I'm informed of one having hit the other. And so, um, you know, I must uh, now banish or exile or um, possibly even uh, kill him to just uh, out of my wrath and out of my spite. This is, that's not the picture of yeah. fatherhood that I have. Right. That's and that's that's not really how I say it. I don't really know theologically where this kind of creeps in. I know that um, in many ways this is this is very much a part of uh, Luther and Calvin, especially Calvin's theology. But uh, you know, to, to picture that um, you mean the you mean the wrath. Why the, why is yes. God and the demand for death? Yeah. Um, Right, and we see that in like um, Puritanism, and I, I is it John Edwards, the American writer who who gave that sermon about how God holds us the way you hold a creepy spider above a fire, ready to at any moment. <laughs> I haven't heard that before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds a little distorted, doesn't it? That's a that's a sermon I got in high school. I remember when we were reading the uh, Scarlet Letter, just to help us understand uh -huh. what the mentality was of these 17th century people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It seems peculiar to me that we would have, um, as kind of in your parable model, we have a humanity which has fallen, which has sinned, and uh, a deserving of death. Um, and God demands death of them. And then his own son says, though innocent, I'm willing to take um, their place and kill me. And um, so, therefore, God does so. Um, I don't really think that's their story. Mm -hmm. I think that's a misinterpretation. Okay. Um, and in, in some ways, you have to go back to when death... You know, it could world. also come It could also come from these ancient Mesopotamian tropes where the, you know, not Yahweh, but the other gods, they were all they were all really mean and they wanted people for slaves and they wanted to, you know, if you, like, I, I don't remember the story now, but like Marduk cutting yes. open the, the world dragon and from that Tiamat. creating the world. Tiamat, yes. Yeah, yeah. Right, and... Creation comes out of this primordial act of violence. Yeah, and then and then the other thing is, we assume that we should be nice to each other, but maybe that's only because we've lived with Christianity for two thousand years. Whereas, right. <laughs> whereas before that, people were like, "I'm I'm going to watch for my tribe. I'm going to protect my, you know, subjects and overlord, but everybody else." Why, yeah, why they may not. Earth? They might be lesser. They might not yeah. be equal and made in the image of likeness of God. They don't aren't deserving of that kind of yeah. level of dignity and respect. Right, right. So I okay. think that's... Um, so our and, view of wrath is wrong, eh? Or Yeah, and I think that... Um, yes, I think our view of wrath is wrong. Okay. Um, to anthropomorphize uh, human emotions of wrath upon God, I think, is faulty. Although, when we are in a state of uh, sin, when we are cut off from God, I certainly the the feeling that a human would have would be as though one is um god is wrathful 
That's um, interesting. So is that a self-imposed alienation, right? Um, when I do, when I is the result of sin, yeah. Right. When I commit a sin between some sin I just committed and between when I get over to confession and I put it all put it all away, I have distanced myself from God, kind of like uh, Adam and Eve hiding. Right. Who told you you were naked? Right. That that's sort of a feeling. Right. Okay. And you, as a father, could probably recognize this when one of your own children are uh, disobedient or uh, have done something wrong, and the you can just look upon them. And even if your heart is loving, if there's a kind of a sense of sternness and a, a sense of they feel um, withdrawn from what you wanted and how you have raised them to be, their emotional state projects a kind of uh, anger and wrathfulness upon you okay. as you try to correct and discipline and bring them back into order. Right. Well, why is that? Is that because I think they're not taking it seriously enough and they're making excuses as little children do or or just because they feel a separation from the rules and the that we made as a little family? Well, I cannot really love as God loves. So I'm always getting my own kind of anger inter yeah. injected into it. But um as a father, but I think that it is the emotional state of their own doing, of their sense of separation that then they feel removed from your love and uh, that feels like hell um yeah. now um, okay okay on a more existential level in the sense of like uh our stories of uh adam and eve this is when death enters into the world and um and so then as as well the need for a redeemer the need for salvation so i think always we must go back to genesis 1 and two, and particularly then in three. Um, and what we see is, uh, and ah, I wish I had my Bible right here. because I'm. Well, you do. Uh, you have to open another tab. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I, I can actually get up and walk you, you my, uh, over to a Bible. But what we see is death isn't necessarily a punishment in Genesis 3. Um, now, Paul does say, that the wages of sin is death, but he doesn't say the punishment that, um, of sin is death. Um, it's just what is owed. Uh, and to a certain extent, if you if we read carefully Genesis 1, I don't necessarily even see it as um, punitive, but actually already an act, a gift that God has given. Um, so they've eaten of the fruit of the tree of knowledge uh, of good and evil. And uh, at this point, they weren't meant to die. Um, so they're, in a certain sense, like the angels um, and the demons in that um, they're immortal. And, um, but now they, they know good and evil. So like um, they know, and, and by that word know, we have a kind of an intimacy that we see throughout scripture that whenever a man knows a woman, there's a, a child comes forth, that there's a, there's a deep intimacy with the knowledge of good and evil, which they have now. And um, so they're kind of removed yeah. from that um, kind of state of innocence, almost childhood innocence. And I'm looking. Yeah. So I have Genesis three, which one, where do we, where should we look? So Genesis towards the 3. end, of two? Um, 
of Genesis 3.21. Okay, Genesis 3.21. So just before this, you know, we hear um, the curses that God placed upon the snake, the serpent, and we see now Adam uh, will have to toil uh, with the sweat on his brow, and um, Eve will experience pain uh, in childbirth. Um, and what's interesting is throughout that, in those consequences, Adam and Eve are not cursed, but now somehow their removal from the God um, has cursed the ground. So that's going to be an interesting mm. thing to, uh, that we look at. Um, is that the ground becomes polluted by their sin. And so we see like sin spreads. Uh, sin is a pollution that emanates and has effects. It's not just an individual um, thing. Um, but uh, in 21, we see the Lord God made for the man and his wife garments of skin with which he clothed them. And that garments of skin um, already seems to give reference to some kind of animal sacrifice. That's true, because uh, everybody was a vegetarian until this point. Yeah, he's well, he's a veg they're vegetarian until after Noah's flood. So, right, oh. they're totally vegetarian, and um, they don't have to, they haven't yet even had to toil uh, to till the soil or anything of that sort. Um, but now there's some how God has provided for them garments of skin, and some um, theologians in the past have also looked at this as like they have a new kind of a body, their body has changed. Um, not to say that they didn't have matter before, but now they're going to have death. Uh, so they, they, they have a skin, um, a new kind of covering. And it's an interesting thing too, as well, is that, that their nakedness is now covered um, by first fig leaves and now garments of skin. So we'll, we'll see again this picture of, throughout the story of salvation, throughout the story of um, sacrifice is, is an atonement. Is this covering um, over of one's sinful state? Yeah. And then the Lord God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. So he's in God, we see already in this council uh, with, with his angels and with uh, uh, the fathers, with the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he says, Man has become like one of us, mm -hmm. knowing good and evil. And if he were to remain in that state, if he were to be immortal, then he would be like a demon, um, cut off from God forever. And so they, uh, and that's what comes to the next line in um, verse 22. Now, what if he also reaches out his hand to take fruit from the tree of life and eats of it and lives forever? So if we had remained without death, we would have forever been disobedient if we had reached out and, and taken the tree of life. Um, we would have remained disobedient to God, cut off from him. And so the Lord God therefore banished him from the Garden of Eden so to, to till the ground from which he had been taken. He expelled the man, stationing the cherubim and the fiery revolving sword east of the that, garden of yeah. eden to guard the way to the tree of life so we he prevented us from becoming like the angels and the demons and in yeah. particular from becoming like the demon and so the so, so 
death is a kind of a gift. And right. This is so do. spare, right? There's so little. If only they had added a line that said, you know, so <laughs> that he's, if only, in order for him to return or, right? Because there, you're right. There's no cursing of, of man. And, yeah. uh, and we Christians interpret this us as a Trinitarian, that God is talking to the other persons of the Trinity. Yes, and possibly that, his whole council of, of all the angelic beings, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, which appears again in Job, right, where God is hanging out in among among His council, and Satan appears with a with a with a deal. Yes. So, yes. so that sort of thing is so is it's so rare in the Bible to get a look into the heavenly courtroom. Uh, sorry, heavenly court. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, but is also as you mentioned earlier going to be um, reflective of the entire ancient. Near East, the Mesopotamian understanding is all this, 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 that God had a council of that there was this all father God who um, has a council of gods and um, which in the Christian tradition, Judaic Christian tradition, we wouldn't recognize as um, God so much as angelic beings. Yeah, but this is, is such this disobedience is so grave rather than God restoring the tree and, you know, taking the fruit away, like death, it has to be, why is it such a grave? Why, why, why the tree? First of all, why the tree? <laughs> why, why, why put a tree that, you know, that we're not yeah. allowed to. Touch? Don't eat it. <laughs> don't, like, look, but don't touch. Like, you know, that's uh, Al, Al Pacino as the devil in whatever movie that was. He, he's like, look, but don't touch, touch, but don't take, or <laughs> like, um, why do that knowing full well because he's god that that's exactly what's going to happen right just as like anytime you say you say to a little kid hey don't touch the candy i'll be back in 10 minutes <laughs> right right yeah. right um so why do that why and then why knowing full well that this is exactly what's going to happen it carries this grave penalty of death rather than just like okay fine don't do it again Letting the serpent into the garden in the first place, the most cunning of animals. Do we all agree that that is Satan? Because all it says here at the very beginning, now the snake was the most cunning of all wild animals that the Lord had made. He asked the woman, did God really say? Right. Yeah, and the snake doesn't, is of all the wild animals, whereas there is a, they're in a garden. Um, yeah, so he's sneaking in there, eh? He's sneaking in in there, right, from somewhere on the outside. So the, the, all of the heavens and earth have been created, but then God sets a garden uh, somewhere in the east. Yeah. Um, so that's there's a there's a particular place in which God is dwelling, even though, of course, it, this is kind of the paradox of our faith, but of all I think spiritual traditions is that. Uh, God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. Um, and yet uh, we find him in particular places and he dwells in certain places. Yeah. Um, right. Well, this is the, the idea of a garden. I'm borrowing from the famous Canadian psychologist, Jordan Peterson, who says that like it's the right balance because too much order is not a garden. It's a it's a house or a parking lot and too much chaos is not a garden. It's a it's a jungle. But a garden is a really nice amount of order and chaos, and that's why we like gardens. Right, right. 
And so something from the outside, something from chaos slips on in yeah. and um, starts to whisper and, and tempt Eve. Um, so the two trees, why, why are the trees? Well, part of uh, the rational animal, part of any of the um, persons, whether they're human or angel or um, divine, are uh, there is this knowledge of good and evil. Um, there is what is to be done and there's what's not to be done. Um, and so that was present with us, but I think um, we're not to take and eat of it our, ourselves. So, I, uh, you know, when I'm teaching the students, I, I'll pause and when we're exploring this and just ask, what does it mean to eat? And um, basically, what is not someone, what is, what is not you has to become you, that the digestive process has to destroy and annihilate the, um, the form of the other, and then the body uh, absorbs that into, so that it's unified as you. And that is something that, um, and then whatever, if it doesn't, if, if you don't do the digestion, destroy something else, you get sick. You're going to have an allergy or get a throw up or, or whatever. So um, they're taking of this fruit. They're eating of this fruit. They're, they're making the knowledge of good and evil their own, um, which is to say they're asserting their autonomy. They're mm -hmm. seizing the um, ability to determine what's right and wrong apart from God. Yeah. And that's which, what we're not yeah. to do. But which and it's also the natural growth of any child into right. Growth, right. Right. With that right. um separation and return, separation and return, separation and return as we try stuff out, as we you know, borrow the car without asking and crash it into a tree or <laughs> as, as we, you know, kick the soccer ball at the wrong time and break a window. Mm -hmm. um, but the, you know, fruit is explicitly to be consumed, right? Un unlike uh, killing an animal, like the whole reason a tree produces fruit is so somebody eats it and, the, and uh, so a bird will eat of it and then spread the seeds far, far away and, and so on, right? Why have fruit if it's not to be why have such well, attractive fruit <laughs> in the middle of the forest? Yeah, in the middle of the garden. But, and it's uh, it's not given to them by God to eat. So it's a fruit; it's to be eaten. But it's not; they don't eat of it in His presence. Yeah, they uh, eat of right. it on their own with the desire to decide for themselves. Then, as uh, the temptation was, is that you will become like God. They, and so they did, right? They made yeah. their own call. I can choose for myself as a, as a teenager. Say, I don't, you know, I'm going to decide what's what's good or not. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're right. Okay. This yeah. Natural. This is the beauty of of scripture. It's a. It's absolutely amazing. Um, I is. mean, yes, we believe the Holy Spirit inspired this, uh, but the, yeah. the fact that people, you know, three thousand years ago, composed this. Uh, and so much of it is spot on to what's happening inside my own heart and mind. Yeah, its word is eternal. Yeah. yeah. No, it's quite miraculous. Okay, so now we have rebellion. 
so rebellion carries death not so much as a punishment or a curse but because that's the way to atone like you can't you can't god cannot it's too big a deal for god to wave his hand and say let's try again oh let's go back to yesterday because yeah, there's, no, there's no going as, back to yesterday as with the fall of the the some the angels a third of the angels fell they rebelled and they're um the consequence of that is um death or exile from god and that's presence. astonishing too because how could they right how could they presume that this one angel is going to take over god's spot well it seems to be what all those other myths in mesopotamia are about right because marduk just doesn't come onto the scene to kill his mother tiamat yeah uh he is the child of uh he's her child and uh they in order to ascend to the throne of all these ancient mythologies whether it's greek and zeus killing chronos and others the god the hot the high god kills the prior gods to ascend yeah um so that did the devil just think that this was possible it seems insane that he would it seems insane that he would uh maybe because he had so much freedom in god's pleasure they got really confused. Okay, now where do we know that there was this rebellion where a third of the angels fled, uh, rebelled, followed Lucifer, and were expelled? Is this an, a creation of John Milton's, or is this um, in the magisterium of the Catholic Church? Uh, this is in Revelations, and John Milton, um, a beautiful poem, enjoy it very much, uh, certainly injects his own kind of puritanical understanding of when that takes place. But I'm not, um, it's certainly we see it in revelations that the, um, the dragon being expelled or does it yes. say a third of the angels in there? And a third of the, yeah. And a third of the stars fall ah. down to the earth. Gotcha. I never realized that. Okay. So that's where, that's where we have this narrative from. Right. Yeah. Okay, so now we, okay, we see ahead. as well other signs of it, and I know that it exists in um, non uh, non inspired or, or non scriptural aspects of the Jewish tradition. Um, we also know that in Genesis um, six, I believe, where the sons of God, of which you could understand to be angelic beings. Um, are seduced, uh, tempted by the daughters of men, and come down and breed uh, the giants, the Nephilim. Yeah. So there's already kind of a picture of fallen angels um, in at that point, as well as right here in Genesis three, we have the the serpent coming in. Yeah, that for me, like that's such an interesting thing that um, you're right. It's Genesis six. Verse four, the Nephilim appeared on earth in those days as well as later after the sons of God had intercourse with the daughters of human beings who bore them sons. And they were the heroes of old, the men right. of renown, the mighty men. Yeah. yeah, that's that's astounding, too. That's that <laughs> that one line, the, those two sentences. Uh, OK, so uh, 
what else? So uh, humans get death not necessarily as a curse or a punishment, but as a path to return that you will. Yeah, we would have been crystallized if we had eaten like a vampire. Be like vampires. We, we, yeah, we would have been <laughs> exiled from God out of uh, in a state of rebellion. And then um, if it weren't for death, we would have been stuck there. So I, know, I don't know exactly how death allows for the possibility of repentance whether you know knowing our mortality draws us to desire to live uh, righteously to desire to be um, just in god's eyes I don't, I don't know exactly how that works but we do have that that sense of having been cut off um, and we do want to be back to god and Death is a great motivator for that. Because there'll be a, a second choosing, right, at the moment of death. Where do you want to go back to God or do you want to go to, to hell and continue living on your own terms? Yeah, and the unknown of, of the afterlife. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really clear theologically. Yeah. Like why, no, I, why death is that gift that allows for the possibility of redemption to play out. Well, I think we all agree that death brings its uh, sweetness because of the scarcity of time. And so everything is a little more special. Everything matters. You're going to use your time wisely. You're going to try to spend time with your family and friends and not, you know, nobody nobody on their deathbed says, oh, I wish I spent more time at work. It's like, no, this is a very short life. There's a lot of good things to be done. And while we dread death, as all mortals do, because we don't know what's on the other side, it, uh, if you were to live forever, it would your life would lose its flavor. And I think that's the moral of every vampire story, certainly in Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I remember reading in college when they finally kill Dracula, like he's so relieved. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. he, uh, he's like, finally, at last. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, okay. So the, why the sacrifice of the, the living word of God, the creator of the universe through him, all things were made. Yeah. So we are, so what the last picture uh, okay. from Genesis 3 would be this picture of exile that were banished from the Garden of Eden. And um, there's something that we see throughout the Old Testament, and we see this as well in the New Testament, but there's something about God's holiness, uh, his purity, that nothing impure can be in his presence. Um, it, it, there's stories of, Aaron's sons uh, slipping in and to the um, tent of the tabernacle and possibly being drunk or somehow offering the wrong kind of incense and uh, just being killed um, for entering into God's presence in an impure kind of state. Um, I think there's one guy who trips and touches the Ark of the Covenant as yes. he's carrying it, and he is also killed. Right. Right. So there, and throughout these pictures of the animal sacrifices, there's this picture that the consequence of um, sin is either exile or death. That nothing, if you, nothing can be in God's presence. If you saw God, you would burn up. It was this understanding. Yeah. And um, those, feel, those feel like cruel penalties if you think that death is annihilation instead of consummation. Because right. from, from the Christian point of view, he's just saying, okay, game over. <laughs> you, you know, like, 
you're done you're done on this part come to the next part right right yeah 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 so with this state of um and the one other thing from genesis 3 as well would be um verse 3 um 15 and in that we refer to it as what's called the proto-evangelium the kind of proto-gospel um the promise of a redeemer and he's speaking with the, the the snake at this point he says i will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers they will strike at your head while you strike at their heel so we've christians have always seen this as the promise of a coming of a redeemer um who will with and it's very interesting here with the uh the woman step upon the head of the the serpent uh strike it at her head at their his head um and so that promising coming of a redeemer is what most of pretty much the rest of the old testament is building up to and um so we see kind of types of the ultimate sacrifice of christ throughout uh and especially in the kind of animal sacrifices um that are performed and that so if we look at the like the day of atonement uh the sacrifices of the two goats on the day of atonement in uh leviticus everyone's <laughs> everyone's favorite chapter of the bible um <laughs> leviticus is usually when anyone wants to read the whole bible through where they just realize no i'm i'm done that's yeah, enough yeah um but all the laws and other things we we see i, I think it's leviticus 16 or so where you you we come across this um sacrifice of the two goats and um yeah sec- uh, the david on the david atonement and the anim- two goats would be brought to the high priest and upon one uh the high priest would lay his hands and place all of his and the community's sins upon the goat and we often get it is misunderstanding that that goat is then what's going to be sacrificed but it's mm-hmm. not um and this is what's kind of odd to me because it, it's not that um the sins need to it, it, this is really important like the sins are placed upon this goat and they're transferred to this goat but that goat is not killed I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash NBN50 and use code NBN50 to get 50% off. That's code NBN50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50% off. 
Okay, I, I, I have it. It's 16.7. Uh, or 16.6 yes. is Aaron shall offer the bull his purification offering to make atonement for himself and for his household. Taking the two male goats and setting them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, he shall cast lots to determine which one is for the Lord and which one is for Azazel. The goat that is determined by lot for the Lord, Aaron shall present and offer up as a purification offering, but the goat determined by law for Azazel, he shall place before the Lord alive, so that with it he may make atonement by sending it off to Azazel in the desert. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> so Azazel, Azazel is this, that's the devil, I take it, or? Yeah, it's another, it's a kind of goat headed um, devil, uh, which I don't know all too much of the details, but is worshipped in some way or another. Um, Anything that ends in L has, has to do with God, I believe. So Yeah, so he's an angry, fierce, uh, goat-headed, um, I believe is a goat-headed God from some Mesopotamian kind of culture. And so the sins cannot remain in Israel. And so they are placed upon that goat, and they're sent off into the wilderness for to go off to where Azazel is, uh, to go to just to leave the community. Um, because again, the picture is it, what is impure cannot be in God's presence. So sin is cast out uh, from God's presence. And then the other goat is um, slaughtered for purification. And what that is, is that it's understood uh, earlier in the big is that the blood life, the blood of an animal or the blood of a person is where their life is. And so the killing of that, um, the other goat is not in order to kind of redeem the sins. The sins have been already removed. The killing of the, of the goat isn't so important. It's that they need the blood because the hmm. life is in the blood and the life and the blood is used to purify and so it's sprinkled all around the land because the blood, um, the Adam's sin pollutes the earth. It's cursed the ground. And then later, you know, in Cain and Abel, the blood has spilled onto the ground. And as, uh, and God says, um, you know, your sin is crying up from the earth. Right. The ground um, is crying or the blood, the spilled blood is crying to God. Yeah. And that, um, so the, the blood of a pure, goat is used then to as by the by the priest to purify the and consecrate reconsecrate the altar the the tent and then it's brought around and sprinkled throughout the camp of israel so the blood is what purifies um, it must have sm really smelled <laughs> the whole <laughs> <laughs> the, the sweet offerings. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, because yeah, I can understand the cooking of the meat, right? As, uh, yeah. as uh, a, 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 another Bible scholar called it like a great barbecue. Right. Um, but just the amount of flies from all this blood buzzing around, which, you know, another devil is Be Beelzebub, I think, is the Lord of the Flies. Yes. The, yeah. Like, there must have been so many flies um, <laughs> anytime there was these sacrifices, you know, just in the... Um, okay. So, so that is, and also, is there something about like, you have to sacrifice for it to mean something, right? The reason 
speeding yeah. tickets carry a three hundred dollar fine is so that if it were a ten dollar fine, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't care. Right. You know, do you know in uh, Finland, I believe they assess fines um, proportional to your income. I think that's really a good idea because if if you're you know Michael Bloomberg, you don't care about a one right. million dollar fine. Right. Yeah. As many yeah. tickets as you want. No problem. Yeah. Right. Except for like yeah. on the fourth one, they take your license and then you have to go stand at the DMV again or go to drive, traffic. <laughs> and then you really do care because that's time, which, <laughs> just, yes. which is valuable for everybody. Yeah. So what do we mean by sacrifice? Um, and that's, that's again, something I'll bring up to the kids. Cause like animal sacrifice is pretty weird, pretty extreme, kind of not, not part of our cultural modern day understanding at all um so like when I, as i'm teaching the high schoolers i don't start there with animal sacrifice or uh really kind of they could intellectually comprehend how the life of the blood that is in the the life is in the blood and that the animal uh sacrifice is therefore bringing life back to the community that's okay they could conceptually grasp that but we have to get to what a sacrifice is um and, you know, just by definition, it's kind of a surrender of a possession as an offering. Um, surrender of kind of typically a, a valuable possession for mm -hmm. something that is going to be more valuable. Um, and yes, there is that then the act of slaughtering an animal as an offering to God, uh, particularly like we'll see with Cain and Abel, one of the things is... Um, Abel offers up the first fruit and the choicest uh, fat, um, whereas Cain just seems to make an offering of his crops. Um, so this this giving of what is really cher what is cherished and maybe even precious to someone uh, for some greater good, and that I'll, I'll ask them. You know, give me some examples. Um, and they'll speak of, you know, okay, like uh, taking, doing dishes for their parents or taking the trash out or, um, you know, go, uh, willing to be late to a class and possibly suffer detention to allow, um, to help a friend who could find his bag, you know, or things of that sort. Um, but then, you know, we talk about like, well, time, you know, mm -hmm. setting aside, playing video games so that you do your homework. <laughs> yeah. That's a kind of a sacrifice. Um, and, and they start to get it. The, 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 uh, and even like attention. Um, if you want to focus, if you want attention, you have to be willing to give up where you might want to go, where your tendencies are, the disparate desires of our uh, of our concupiscent kind of be state, and and like offer those up so that you can give your attention to um, something that is of more value. And uh, you know, and I refer that to prayer. Like prayer is a you need to do an interior kind of like sacrifice in order just to pray. Um, not only in terms of the time that you carve out for it, but the quality of your um, your your mind and your your heart, um, and 
And so that that picture of sacrifice and then recognition of like, okay, so uh, where else do we refer to sacrifice in our larger society? And, you know, uh, from the sacrificial fly or sacrificial bunt, uh, you know, they kind of get the picture more clearly or the, mm-hmm. the ultimate sacrifice of a soldier um, willing to throw his, his life on a grenade um, and to, in order to save or his yeah. his fellow soldiers um and they get it right they get that the uh what overall a sacrifice is and because 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 it shows value yeah and it shows someone willing to give something up um for that value for what is valued yeah and and again maybe that's why it's so sweet to die and have limited a number of time because however much my speeding ticket costs or whatever, that's just, that's just time I spent working, right? The time I didn't spend and I don't have that much time. I only have a few years. Right. right? Why, uh, why you're supposed to, you know, when you, when you give an engagement ring, it doesn't, you are supposed to just spend a lot of money on it, even though it looks the same if you spent a little bit of money on it. Uh, because it represents a lot of time you've invested, and then it shows that in the future you will also invest time and in, in that relationship. And so the the woman can believe that okay, this is a good this is a good choice because here's a person who will continue putting me ahead of his other desires and so on. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's perfect. Yeah. Right. And um, okay, so I, I yeah, and also um, to go back to Jordan Peterson and his Bible talks, he he talks about the discovery of sacrifice as a way to become people who can build a civilization because they know how to plan and they know how to put grain aside for the, you know, for the lean years and so on. And it sort of differentiates the the grasshopper from the, is it grasshopper and the ants? Is it the ants? Mm-hmm. Work? And yep. the grasshopper plays and then the ants have food in the winter and the grasshopper doesn't. And you, you can't build a city or have granaries if all you're doing is hanging out in the woods and, like that this like you're just either full or hungry and by sacrificing you can plan and then you can really build a civilization which is which just requires yeah. a city yeah yeah oh yeah yeah there's uh i think as well there's um there's these pictures of sacrifice in the ancient world um where we'll see in pagan societies, um, sacrifice of animals, um, but also human sacrifice. And, yeah. Um, Which suddenly doesn't sound so monstrous in this context. You know, because well, I, I, I was always appalled, you know, with uh, Abraham and Isaac. The fact that when God tells Abraham to go kill Isaac, Abraham does not say, that's crazy. What are you talking about? I've never heard of this. That's insane because it wasn't insane because that must have happened all the time, right? He, yeah, it must have happened. He responds in a way as if that was something that's not a bizarre because it's not like, oh, cut off your left foot. And you'd be like, okay, but you know. And so many people had a human sacrifice, not just the Aztecs 500 years ago, but certainly in ancient Mesopotamia and child sacrifice and so on. Right. Yeah, I think in. Um my understanding that towards the end of the Aztec empire, there was 
20,000 human sacrifices a year. Oh, yeah. Um, just yeah. Now, it's where, hard to know. It's hard to know because sometimes numbers are um, rhetorical and it's hard to know if they know how to count. But, you know, like it and and these are killed one by one with stone knives. It's not like you can shoot them against the wall uh, with machine guns. So it's like you kill one person after another person after another person with a stone knife cutting them over. It's so much effort. And what was the state of these people? Is it, we have no idea. Is this voluntary or is this, um, are they themselves kind of just bound and uh, going unwillingly or willingly? In the Aztec context, most of them are prisoners of war. Most of them are taken um, either as a as a levy or as captives from the neighboring tribes, which is why somebody like Cortez, who's no you know who's who's no paragon of virtue himself, can quickly find tens of thousands of allies, you know, and why mm. five hundred Spaniards can overthrow a hundred thousand Aztecs, because everybody is really tired of getting murdered on these pyramids, and right. they're like, you, you okay, we'll we'll join you instead. Yeah. And something's not working anymore here. Yeah. Uh, right. Right. So, but, okay. So there's a, a sense that we're going to kill you to pay this debt to our God because our crops are not going well or something's wrong. So I'm going to capture somebody else and kill him. But that's not really a sacrifice at that point because I'm, you're paying for my problems. Yeah. So the, I haven't spent a lot of time researching ancient uh, sacrifices, but the little that I have understood is that they are, um, in a certain sense, uh, acts of hospitality, inviting a um, a god uh, on into uh, some kind of idol, some kind of a, a body, some kind of a statue or other such, where they where food is being offered to invite them to dwell in, in, in amongst uh, that people. Mm -hmm. uh, and that that is then um, bringing those, um, those forces on into that community. Yeah, uh, certainly that, that, uh, the three strangers, power. right? The three strangers who come to Abraham's tent and tell him that Sarah will conceive a child. And he's, he's really, he, you know, Abraham, Lord of all these people, is leaping up and making the bread and moving fast and like really hop into it. To, to... And then Lot, I think, is another example where he, he will protect strangers from a mob and sacrifice his own children to protect strangers from a mob of, of, of crazed rapists. Right. There are these kind of pagan kind of sacrifices um, to idols in which there's going to be some animal or some grain or some uh, smoke incense that is going to be offered with the hope that then that God will dwell in that idol, grant them um, and those people a kind of a, a power. Um, and the this kind of a animal sacrifice is almost opposite of what Christians do. So in these kind of pagan sacrifices, the idea is to take the life of something, to consume it, to give you 
to give you access to some power. Because the other aspect to the animal sacrifices of the pagans is that um, it was a meal they all partook in, mm-hmm. right? Which is, um, we, we hear Paul saying, do not eat of uh, the sacrifices and the blood and the sacrifices of pagan rituals, um, because then you become part of that um, that being. Um, and this is kind of what they understood is that those in those sacrifices, those who are eating of what is being offered, then are joined in hospitality uh, to that being. Um, and so when we think about Christ's sacrifice as a lamb of God, um, we don't see this either human wise or in the sense of a lamb of God, a kind of analogy to this, this animal sacrifice. We don't see him, um, his life being taken, right? As uh, I forget exactly where in John it says, no one can take um, the life of the son of man, but he lays his own life down. Hmm. So he's not, his life isn't being taken from him. He's offering his life. He's giving it. So now we have a picture of a God, uh, God man being giving his life. Um, and the people um, also then, as, as we understand through the Eucharist, um, are joined to him through that act. That's and, and that's it. a that's a great mystery, right? The Bishop right. Barron says in his um, reflection on his Rosary YouTube video that the part of this is that Jesus endures every kind of horrible thing all on the same day. You know, he's betrayed by his friends, he's treated with injustice uh, by the court, uh, he is mocked, he is tortured and then kill, killed. His mother has to watch, like. All, all the wor- worst things that you could imagine happening are piled upon his shoulders all at one instance. Uh, and somehow that kind of like to the scapegoat, this binds to him all the rotten things we have done and continue to do to each other. Right. It just like that scapegoat. In a certain sense, both of the scapegoats are united in him. Yeah. Uh, because as he is, he's not just exiled away. He receives all of those. And then all, all the, the torture, the torment, the mocking, the evil that human can do, um, he accepts. And then the, um, but as with the second goat, he is also sacrificed. Um, and then his blood is drips and, purifies um, the world. Um, So we understand that um, this is the blood of the new covenant uh, that, and that we consume his body, blood, soul, and divinity. And so are joined to him. Um, So in a certain sense, this is uh, kind of what the pagans were doing in a fallen way. They were, trapping gods into idols trapping these angelic kind of or demonic kind of beings into idols and then um offering up some animal so that they could be joined to the power of that that being and i know this is 
to like a modern day yeah. uh, sensibilities, we don't really we don't really accept angels and demons all that much. But um, that that maybe is a whole other uh, topic to go into. Um, but there are these kind of patterns, intelligible patterns, these intelligible forces that um, that are present in the world, and um, we can often sometimes even just recognize that. I think in uh, in addictions, um, yeah, totally right. But I. I do think I, I, I have invited an exorcist, <laughs> so I hope okay. to, have, to have a really good talk about that. But I do think there are both. I think there are um, literal demons, right, yes. from, this, from yes. this supernatural realm that we only get a glimpse of here and there. But there are also idols that we have created, which is I am addicted to uh, money or drugs or sex or anything like that. And I'm putting that ahead of the, the properly ordered priorities of my life. Yeah, and and there's a certain kind of pattern to alcoholism, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and that it, it's kind of disregarding the individual, um, the individuals can fall into the pattern of alcoholism that seems to go beyond any one person. So it's almost like this, this as we even referred to, like the the spirit of alcohols and such. But it was almost like this this. Being. literally literally spirits <laughs> yes the literally the spirits that we yeah. and again we consume in ritualistic ways typically yeah. and uh fall more and more under the power and authority of that pattern of addiction yeah um now i'm not i'm not trying to say that all alcoholics are demonically possessed right that's not what i'm trying to say but um but there there is something like this i think in terms of what the pagans are doing by ritualistically uh, calling in a, a a fallen intelligibility, in other words, like some kind of pattern that is destructive and is leads to chaos and uh, power and and self and that they're drawing that power and trapping it or trying to or believing that they can trap it into some kind of material body, which who knows maybe that intelligibility wants and desires some kind of a physical body. And then, um, and they are then sharing in this consuming of a of a food to join with it, the the offering of a life. So, th- this is exactly how uh, Christianity flips all of that. Is that yeah. um, we're not trapping a god into a material body. God is giving his body to us and putting it into or transubstantiating it into from bread and wine into being his body that then we consume so we can be joined back to the very principle of order in the universe, the logos himself. And so the, the Eucharist is joining us back into this pattern of life and uh, an eternal life and an overflowing of, uh, of life. Um, and yeah. which is then healing of all of our wounds. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and because it resets your patterns, because it's so much more powerful, and because it just reminds you of um, your it's it's it can help it can free you from any other addiction too, and especially if you you know through confession and then Eucharist. Right, right, yeah, and the faith the size of a mustard seed. So right. this is this is really God making Himself accessible to us in a way that is intelligible. And to help us return to him while still on this earth. Because the fear is, 
not, I don't know about fear, but the the fact is, if we don't get into a pattern of preferring God to the things on this planet, when the final judgment comes, we will again not prefer God, and will so not not that God would throw us in the hell because He's a loving Father, but we would prefer to obstinately choose the corner where there is no God, which is, of course, hell. We would damn ourselves unless we're in the habit of choosing God while we're still here. Right. And we can't, uh, we can't do it on our own. And we can't do it. God had to send his son to us. So because the state of us trying to always just choose right and choose good, um, and make our life perfect and, uh, free of pain. Um, it just doesn't work and draws us, um, more and more into kind of a, a self-obsessed um, place. Yeah. Um, so uh, that makes total sense. That makes total sense. And also that the redemption isn't just the crucifixion, death and the resurrection, but the whole process, the whole entry as a baby in a manger, the whole ministry of 33 years, all of that right. is the salvation. All of that is the redemption. Right. Right. Which culminates of course, on the cross um and and i think that so that's the other aspect to this is that um why do we need a savior why can't jesus just be a really good teacher um and just another kind of like a, a buddha or rabbi moses um is that we we cannot really get out of the this kind of world of sin and exile from God's presence uh, on our own. We can't just put ourselves back into relationship to God. We can't just look upon even Jesus as a great model of how I want to live my life so that I can be a better better man, a better father, a better husband. Um, but that all those efforts end up falling short and mm-hmm. actually maybe um, drawing us further from really being brought back in union with God. And so God had to send his son. God had to become man so that man could become God as, as Athanasius, St. Athanasius says. Yeah. Yeah. And this requires no convincing (laughs) because everybody listening to your voice right now already knows this by, by his own experience, like where I have tried to do it on my own. It, it has been a, a, a terrible disappointment and where I have put my hands put myself in God's hands and followed um, this path of, uh, of um, repentance, uh, reconciliation, and uh, Eucharist. Things have gone so miraculously well. Right. And which all of it itself, it's, it's also kind of a participation in the self-sacrificial love of the Son, right? Because as we say, yeah, I can't do this on my own. <laughs> we're already kind of like in that first act of repentance, we're already beginning to say like, I I have to give up my own self-control, self-attachment and thinking that I'm, um, I really have the power and control in my life and give that over yeah. to God. That already is a kind of a sacrifice, um, yeah. which then the, with Christ upon the cross, that's a picture to us as well of, of God's love, that his love, and this is, getting back, is this, this isn't a love of 
this isn't a picture to me of a father who despises us, deplores us. It think uh, as I forget you just quoted uh, John John, Edwards. John Edwards. It's called it's called something like um, "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God." It's it's something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Yes, sorry. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, uh, 1741. John John Edwards. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see the anger in all this story. I see the um, this love that sends his son and that is, uh, and can, can God's, the father's love is also self-sacrificial love, right? He doesn't have to even have created creation but he gave of his own being without any kind of loss to himself he gave of his own being so there could be beings um with no sense of competition with no sense of kind of uh his own kind of uh lessening as a result and and so likewise his son as an image of the father gives of his own life for our um our spiritual life for our eternal life and so this, the whole picture to me is actually of love, not of punishment and the kind of uh, forensic, um, uh, you know, legal mm-hmm. need for Jesus to take um, God's wrath upon himself. Yeah, that that's really helpful, and it. I also feel it intuitively that 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 makes much more sense. That makes much more sense. It makes more sense as a father too. Yeah. Right. I'm gonna. Yeah. I don't know what that image of, of uh, has done to us as Americans of the of the wrathful father. Um, but yeah. It, it, so right, it's such a conversation between anthropomo- anthropological forces of ancient narratives of trying to understand oh life and death and seasons and elements and locusts. Uh, to what Jesus explained and what we feel when we deal with our own children um, and, you know, other creatures, something I make, something I love, something I care about. It could be a garden, you know, it could be something that I've given life to, how I feel about it. Yeah, and that they, by God's will, hopefully will go out and continue to cultivate um, as they spread that to others. Yeah. Well, Mr. David Basil, we have talked for over an hour and you have definitely answered my question. Is there anything else uh, we want to say? Uh, no, nothing comes yeah. to mind. Would you no. Would you uh, be so kind as to say a prayer or a blessing for our listeners and our, our world and our families? Yes. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, Heavenly Father, who has created us, who sustains us in each and every moment, and who has given us all the gifts and talents which we have. We ask that you bless us, and we especially give you thanks for the gift of your Son, who gave himself so that we all may live. I ask that you continue to bless the, this ministry of uh, Chris Odinitz and all of the listeners that they may receive the graces they need to hear your will and to have the courage and ability to follow it. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. 
Amen. Chris O'Dinius and David Basil recorded this conversation on Monday, January 16th, 2023. It was the feast day of St. Marcellus I, who worked to write the floundering ship of our church after the persecutions of Diocletian in the late third century. It was also the holiday, or holy day, of a secular saint here in the U.S., and that's Martin Luther King, one of the great Christian voices of the 20th century. In a January 1966 sermon called Transformed Nonconformist, Dr. King said, by opening our lives to God in Christ, we become new creatures. This experience, which Jesus spoke of as the new birth, is essential if we are to be transformed nonconformists. Only through an inner spiritual transformation do we gain the strength to fight vigorously the evils of the world in a humble and loving spirit. Our music is from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster Band, www.gscoasterband.com, and I will play two Christmas songs of theirs for you now at the end of this episode. Our logo, the stained glass window in Santo Domingo de Silos in Spain, comes from the Dominican Priors of England, Scotland, and Wales, www.english.op.org. I'm Chris Odinitz. I'd love to read your comments at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com, and I'll talk to you soon. What child is this who will lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. This, this is Christ the King whom shepherds guard and Angels sing, haste, haste to bring him, Lord, the babe, the son of Mary. Why lies he in such meanness?
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.